This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. I'd like to join in in welcoming everybody here this morning. I appreciate that you can make it with us so we could study another portion of God's Word together. I want to say thank you for the prayers on my behalf. and It's my prayer that the things we study will be in strict accordance to God's Word this morning. And also it will be useful to you and beneficial as you continue your Christian walk and as we continue on together. For a little while today I want to study about some of the final teachings we have from our Savior Jesus Christ before His ascension into heaven. Uh, we typically call this the Great Commission. Uh, it's going to be listed in three different accounts in, in some of the parables, both in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. We're, we're going to look at that. We're going to see today what that Great Commission is, uh, what the setting was when Jesus taught it. So we'll look at the context of what was going on during that time and really who Jesus gave that Great Commission to and who it all applies to. So let's go ahead and dive right into it. It's taught in three different accounts. We're going to begin in the first one, which is in the book of Matthew, chapter 28. In verses 18 through 20, beginning in verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. So this is the first account we have in the book of Matthew. Let's go ahead and look at the account that we have in Mark, which is in Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16. And it says, And he said, talking about Jesus, and to them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Let's look at the third one we have, which is in the book of Luke chapter 24. And that'll begin in verse 45, and we'll go through 49. Luke 24, 45, Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with the power from on high. So here we have all three of the, the accounts that we have of what we call the Great Commission. This is the final things that Jesus said before he went up and, and ascended into heaven. So if we look at that, let's compare just kind of side by side all three of them. So the first thing we see is that Jesus taught to go teach. He taught that in all three accounts in Matthew, Mark, and in Luke. He also taught to teach all nations. And in Mark, it talks about teaching every creature. It says, go teach every creature, which is basically the same thing as far as teaching all nations. In the book of Mark, it, it throws in the qualifier that we need to believe. And then in both Matthew and Mark, it talks about baptizing. And Matthew expands a little bit further, where it says, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Continue on in Matthew, after it talks about baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, then he goes on and says, teach them to observe all things that Christ commanded. And then the last two in Mark and, and Luke, it talks about how that leads us to salvation. So when we look at that, we compare all three together, just you have the different viewpoints of how they heard Jesus' teaching. It can be summarized like this. Go teach all nations to believe and to be baptized in the name of the Father, 
the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teach them to observe all things that Christ commanded so that they can have salvation. So if you summarize the Great Commission, this is how I would summarize it, just in my opinion of comparing all three together, is to go teach them to believe and be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and teach them to observe all things that Christ commanded so that they can have salvation. So here we have the Great Commission at that time. So this is what it is. So if we look at what the setting was going on, one thing that sometimes I think we forget when we talk about the Great Commission, this is after Jesus had been resurrected. So he had already died, he was buried for three days, and then he was resurrected. And he did teach the apostles and some of the disciples of the time. He taught them a little bit more uh, after he was resurrected. If you look back in Mark chapter 16, a few verses earlier, beginning in verse 16, it says, And, and he saith to them, this is talking about the angel. So when Mary went to the, the tomb where Jesus was laid, she found an angel. And this is what the angel said to Mary, Be not affrighted. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way and tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him. And he said, as he said unto you. Scroll down to verse 14. It says, And afterward he, talking about Jesus, appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and abraded them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So even after Christ was risen, they didn't really believe it was Christ there for a while. He had to show them that he had risen. So this was after Jesus had died on the cross for their sins. He was buried for three days, and then he was resurrected. After that is when he taught his great commission. Before Jesus died, we have what we typically call the limited commission. So when we think about a commission, that's kind of a charge. That's something that, that Christ taught his people that he wanted them to do. So before he died, we have what we refer to as the limited commission, which that can be found in Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 through 7. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 5, it says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this is what we have as the limited commission. So it was limited in a few different fashions. What we have here is Jesus is telling, telling his apostles to go, but don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans. You only go to the house of Israel. So it was limited first in audience. Only the house of Israel was going to hear this commission. They were, they were the only ones that were, going to, they were trying to turn back to the house of God so that they can do what they needed to do. So it was limited first in audience. The second thing is it was limited in scope. And you see that in verse 7, it says, And as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That word at hand, when you look at that, it just means that it's near. It's not yet here. It's coming, but it's not here yet. So when Jesus was teaching them, he was saying, Go and tell the Israelites to repent because the kingdom is coming soon. It's not here yet. It's coming soon. So it's limited in scope. And then the third thing that we have is it's limited in duration, meaning it ended. It ended when Christ gave the Great Commission because then when Christ gave the Great Commission, the kingdom was here. Now we can see that, that it was for everybody um, and that, that ended this limited commission. So it ended after Jesus' resurrection and the Great Commission was given. So this is what the apostles were given before Jesus died was this limited commission. You only go to the house of Israel, teach them to repent, and teach them that the kingdom of heaven is near. After Jesus was res resurrected, then he gave them the Great Commission, which was available to everybody. 
So let's go ahead and look and really dissect what is the Great Commission and make sure we really understand what Jesus was teaching at this time. For this one, we're going to look in the account of Matthew chapter 28. Let's go ahead and read it again. Matthew 28 and verse 18 says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at is that one that I've highlighted in blue, that word teach. That word teach, when you really break it down, the Strong's Concordance has that word. It means to enroll as a scholar, to instruct, or to teach. If you look at the Thayers, it says that it means to make a disciple, to teach, to instruct. This is what Jesus is telling us to do. It's the, the word that we use today. It's teach. Go instruct people. Go show them what they need to do to teach them. Okay, now let's go ahead and look at the word baptize, and let's look at the, the phrase in the name. When you look up that word baptize, it's the Greek word baptizo, which that means to immerse. There's plenty of doctrines out there today that they will look at baptism with sprinkling or pouring, and that's not what the word means. The word means to immerse. It, it is a full immersion. And when you look at that phrase, in the name of, that would mean it's with the authority of. So Jesus is telling us to go instruct all nations, teach them what they need to do, baptize or immerse them, and you immerse them with the authority of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. So here's what Jesus is teaching us to do in the Great Commission. But it does not end there. Sometimes we, we can tend to get this view that the Great Commission is just go baptize people. Go teach them what they need to do and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But Jesus didn't stop there, did He? In verse 20, He tells us also to teach them to observe whatsoever things I've commanded. So if you look up that word observe, that means to attend to carefully or take care of. So it does not stop with just baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. It continues that we have to continue to teach. So when you really look at it, what... what Jesus is telling us to do in the Great Commission is to be teachers, to go teach people what they need to do, baptizing them, and teach them to observe the things that Christ commanded. Well, sometimes we may not know what, what we need to teach when we look at verse 20. We don't know what do we specifically do we need to teach them to observe. Well, if you look over in the book of uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, and read verse 1 through 3, it says, Simon Peter a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have attained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of, our Jesus, or, and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and to godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and to virtue." What Peter is writing to us here is says, we've been given everything that we need that pertains to life and to godliness. And as disciples of Christ, that's what we're called to go teach. So the Great Commission is telling us to go teach people to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and teach them to observe everything that Christ has commanded. Peter follows that up with teach them to observe all things that pertain to life and to godliness. We have all the answers that we need. Anything that somebody may be struggling with, anything that's going hard in their life, or maybe there's sin in their life, or they just need a little bit of help or encouragement, we have all the answers through the Scriptures. 
And that's the things that we're called to teach through the Great Commission. So that's really breaking down what the Great Commission is. And, you know, it's easy for us to look at it and to say, like, okay, that's easy for us to understand. Go teach all nations, all nations. That's not limited in scope. You go teach everybody. Go baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And you teach them to, to do everything that Christ had commanded. That's pretty easy for us to understand. But when you really look at it with the mindset of the Israelites at the time, that wasn't so easy for them to understand, really in one primary fashion. And it was that phrase, all nations. They really didn't understand what all nations meant at that time. So when you think about the Great Commission, it seems easy for us, but it's difficult for the apostles when they still would not go teach the Gentiles for a while. They would not go teach people other than the house of Israel. Remember the limited commission, Jesus said, go teach the house of Israel. Don't go to the Gentiles and go, don't go to the Samaritans. But that's not what Jesus taught here. However, that's what the apostles still did. They didn't go to the Gentiles. They didn't go to the Samaritans for a while. So salvation in their mindset was only for the Israelites. It was only for the nation of Israel. <clears throat> and really this comes back all the way from thousands of years earlier with the Abrahamic promise. If you look in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So what they had here was this is the Abrahamic promise, and you had to be a physical descendant of Abraham, specifically through Israel, uh, to receive this blessing. So thousands of years go on. What this really caused from the Jews or the Israelites at the time is really it built up a lot of pride. And they would say that they are the chosen children of God and everybody else had no hope. And there was a very clear and distinct difference in those. And it caused a lot of pride in that, being very prideful about their heritage. You know, they had no control over their heritage. Just as you and I, we have no control over that as well. It was nothing that they did on their own. If you were born an Israelite, that was a great blessing of God. That's not anything that you did. But it caused this great pride in this heritage. And we can see that pride being shown in the book of John chapter 4. This is when Jesus met with the Samaritan woman at the well and he asked the woman to drink. Now at the time, they weren't supposed to deal with the Samaritans because of this. So John chapter 4 verse 9 says, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So we can see this is just evidence that pointed back to the Israelites and the Jews at that time, that it great, built up this great pride that if they were a descendant of Abraham, that they had this salvation that other nations didn't have. So if we think about the, the mindset of the apostles at this time, it would be very difficult for them to understand everything they've ever been taught for the last thousands of years is salvation is only for the Israelites. And now Jesus is teaching salvation is for all nations. And they really didn't get it. So even when Christ taught the Great Commission was for all, they didn't understand and they didn't follow it. And it actually wasn't until Acts chapter 10 when Peter had another vision from God that he finally started to understand that salvation was for everybody. This great commission was truly that. It was great for everybody, not only the house of Israel. So let's look at that. Peter's vision in Acts chapter 10 beginning in verse 9. It says, On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh into a city, 
Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him, as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, thou call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. Now when Peter doubted in himself what the vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were there, men which were sent from Cornelius, had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. So here we have this vision from God, and God is teaching Peter again what Jesus had already said, that nothing is, is common or unclean, that all men are now equal. Go teach all nations. Peter still didn't understand, even after this vision. So it's apparent that Peter was taught directly from Jesus to go teach all nations, open the keys to the kingdom of heaven for everybody. He didn't understand. So then God sent this other vision. Still in verse 17, it says Peter doubted himself what this should mean. He still didn't understand. And then finally, he was started able to comprehend it. And we can see that in verse 28 of Acts chapter 10. It says, And he said unto them, You know how that is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Now Peter's finally starting to realize now Peter's finally getting it that the Gentiles have the ability for salvation as well. So, of course, you can read later on that Peter uh, went through and he, he saw and he uh, helped Cornelius and his people obey the gospel. And he, was, he baptized them. He taught them about Jesus. He did what he was supposed to do out of the Great Commission. Even after he did that, some of the other apostles and some of the disciples at the time, they disagreed with Peter that he should have done that. If you look over in Acts chapter 11, in the first three verses, it says, And the apostles and the brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest into men uncircumcised and did eat with them. So see, even some of these men, the circumcision were the Jews at the time, so even some of these other Jews, they contended or they argued against Peter, saying, You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done what, what you did. So still, they didn't understand. So, of course, you can read later on in Acts chapter 11, where basically Peter rehearsed the things that had happened, that he had this trance, he had this vision from God, and then he said the Holy Spirit descended upon Cornelius and these Gentiles. And who's to refuse that? If the Holy Spirit comes upon these Gentiles, it's not Peter's place that he can refuse them the gospel. So he was able to understand. And then finally, the people started understanding. So it's easy for us to see at this time, when we look back at the Great Commission, that it's for everybody, it's for all nations. But it would have been quite difficult for the Israelites to understand that. So they really had to change their mindset. Now once they did change their mindset and they were really able to understand the Great Commission was for everybody and that everybody had this right for salvation, they had some great conversion examples that we read of in Acts chapter 2, or in Acts, in the book of Acts. The first one we're going to read of is the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be able to see how the Great Commission really played out in reality, how they did what Jesus wanted them to do. 
So in Acts chapter 2, you have what's called the Day of Pentecost. The Day of Pentecost was a Pentecostal feast that once a year, all the Jews from the surrounding areas, they would all go into Jerusalem for this feast. That, that was a tradition that they had from back in the Old Testament, that they would all come there and they would have this great feast. So Acts chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse 4. It says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and, to, and began to speak with other tongues. That word tongues just simply means languages. So they began to speak with other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes? Elamites, and dwellers of Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, in Egypt, and in parts of Libya, and Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews, and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So here what you have is you have these people from all these different regions. Let's go ahead and look at a map of what that really looks like. So you can see all these different regions would have been represented from Jews going to Jerusalem for this, the Pentecostal feast. You have Pontus and Rome and Crete, all the way down to Egypt and over in the Medes and Persians over on the east side there. So you can see all these different regions would have been represented uh, at Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost, and they spoke different languages. Now we have this miraculous gift from the apostles in that they were able to speak that miraculous gift to speak in the different languages so then the people from these different areas were able to hear uh, what they were speaking and they were able to understand. So they were from all these different nations and all these different places so that they could hear. Now if we look, let's go a little bit further down in verse 22 through 24 and we can see some of what Peter taught them at the time. Acts 2 and verse 22 it says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Peter is going on to teach them more about Jesus. Remember what Jesus taught us in the Great Commission, go teach all nations. That's exactly what Peter's doing. He's teaching. And he's teaching these nations that all come together at Jerusalem. And remember in the book of Luke where it talks about in the Great Commission that to teach all nations beginning first in Jerusalem and then to spread out. That's what happened. This is what's going on. They began first in Jerusalem when these people came together. So he taught them that you're the ones who crucified the Messiah. The Son of God who came to save all nations, you're the one who crucified, but God is the one who raised Him from the dead. Let's go on and we, let's look a little bit in Acts chapter 2, go down to verse 37. It says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter goes on to fulfill the Great Commission. Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. 
And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So Peter goes on to teach them more about what they need to do. So he taught them about Christ, that they just crucified Christ, and then they were convicted. If someone came in today to you and said, You're the one who just crucified the Messiah, how would you feel? You'd probably be pretty convicted too. Like, what am I do? What do I do? How do I fix that? So he goes on to teach them, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So he teaches them more. So he is fulfilling the Great Commission. But remember, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with just teaching them to be baptized. It teaches them to observe all things that Christ commended. If we go down in 42 through 47, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. This was after the 3,000 souls were added to the church. They continued. They continued teaching the doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Verse 43, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So we can see that the apostles continued teaching. They continued fulfilling the Great Commission. And it's obvious that they taught some of the things that Christ taught them. Because look at what they did. They demonstrated what Christ taught. They sold their possessions and gave to the poor. Remember Christ teaching about that? If you're going to be perfect and follow after me, go sell everything you have and give to those who need it. Remember he taught that to the, to the rich young ruler? Well, they did that. Now remember the setting at this time. You had Jews from all those different nations that we just saw. They spoke different languages. I'm re really willing to bet they didn't know each other. They really didn't know who these other people were, at least not at a deep level. And yet they had enough bond together that they were willing to sell what they have and to give to strangers because now they knew each other through Christ. If you look on, there's more that they taught. Remember, Christ taught us that he, he wants us to be unified. He wants us to all be like-minded, and that's what they had. It says that they continued on and that they all believed together, that they ate their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, that they had unity together, and that's what Christ taught, isn't it? So the apostles must have taught them that as well, that they had to have unity. So we can see that the things that, that Christ taught were examples here. Another thing that Christ taught, remember in, in the book of Matthew where Christ taught that we're the light of the world? We're supposed to go out and be an example of that. Look there in verse 47. It says that they were praising God. They had a favor with all the people. So not just the people that were in the church, but those, those new Christians, the new disciples of Christ, that they were able to show the light of the world and that they were able to do that and that they had favor with all the people, that they all looked upon them as somebody that they would want to be like. So you can see that the apostles did this. They fulfilled the Great Commission at that time. They taught them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then they continued teaching to observe the commandments that we have from Christ. So the next example that we have that we'll look at is the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, it says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. 
He was returning and sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet. The spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read Isaiah and said, Understandest what thou readest? So here we have this Ethiopian eunuch. He's trying to learn more. He's trying to teach himself. And he's reading from the book of Isaiah. But he doesn't really understand what he's reading. But one thing to key in there on verse 30 says, And Philip ran to meet him. He didn't linger. He didn't wait. God told him that there's an opportunity to go spread the gospel. There's an opportunity to go teach someone. And Philip got up and ran towards that opportunity. That's a good example for us to look at today. It was when opportunities around you, run to it. Don't wait. Get after it, just like Philip did. Continuing in verse 31, and, he's, and the eunuch said, How can I except some man guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Now the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb done before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, and he began at the same scripture, and he preached unto him Jesus. So Philip was able to use the eunuch's base knowledge. He had knowledge because he went to Jerusalem to worship. He had a base understanding of what was going on. He knew Isaiah was a prophet, so he knew a little bit. Philip was able to use that base knowledge and give him more knowledge to make sure that he could really understand it. And he used that and he taught about Jesus. Now if we continue on in 36 through 39, it says, And as they went their way, there came unto certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now I want to stop right there. When did Philip teach him that he needed to be baptized? It doesn't say. All it says is that Philip used the same scriptures where he was reading in the book of Isaiah and he taught about him Jesus. But here's my opinion with this. You can't effectively teach about Jesus unless you teach about baptism and how to follow through that obedience of the gospel. If you're going to teach about Jesus, you're going to teach that he's the Son of God, that he came down and he died on the cross for your sins, he was buried for three days and he was resurrected. And you're going to teach that you need to obey that in, in the gospel of baptism. And that is taught in the book of Romans chapter 6. So the, it's obvious to me that Peter taught about baptism because, or Philip taught about baptism because as soon as they saw water, the eunuch said, well, here's water. What's stopping me from being baptized? Let's continue on in verse 37. And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Remember when we looked at the gospel example in Mark about the Great Commission, we had that qualifier there. That Mark said, he who believest and baptized shall be saved. That's what Philip said too. Well, if you believe, you can be baptized. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariots to stand still. And they went both down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And here's an example of where that baptism as immersion was shown forth as they both went down into the water. Verse 39, And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. So here we see that Philip, he ran towards that opportunity. He used the eunuch's base knowledge and gave him more understanding. He taught about Jesus, which obviously has to be teaching about baptism. He got in that qualifier that you have to believe and be baptized, as we talk about in Mark, and that the eunuch obeyed that. So that's the second example that we have. 
The third example we're going to look at this morning is Saul of Tarsus. Now, if you remember Saul, who we later refer to as Paul, Saul was not the greatest guy before he became a Christian, before he followed after it. And let's look at that. In Acts chapter 8, in the first three verses, it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death, talking about Stephen. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and helling men and women, committing them to prison. This is what Saul did. Now Saul, he did it with all conscience, all great conscience to God, because he was a Jew at that time. And he thought that the church was going against the, the tradition and the Jewish religion, which it was. However, it was doing it in a way that God wanted it to do which was taught all the way back from the beginning of time. Well, Saul didn't recognize that. So Saul thought he was doing the right thing by getting these people to stop following after this man, Jesus Christ, because he didn't believe Jesus Christ was the Messiah at the time. And it says he made havoc against the church. He was throwing people into prison. He was there consenting unto Stephen's death because Stephen was a Christian at the time. So Saul was not the greatest guy. However, when Saul was doing... What his job was, was to go find these Christians and throw them into jail. He runs into Jesus Christ. And he runs into him, and we see that in Acts chapter 9, verse 3 through 6. Acts chapter 9, beginning of verse 3, it says, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go to the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. So Paul was going to find more people that he could throw into jail, and Jesus stopped him. And Jesus said, Why are you doing this, Saul? Why are you throwing my people in jail? Why are you persecuting against me? Now, if you think about that, think about Saul's position at this time. Saul was a man in the Jewish religion, and he thought everything that he was doing was right. And then he just got a direct encounter with Jesus Christ, a light shining from heaven. And it says there in verse 6 that he was trembling and he was astonished, said, Lord, what would you have me to do? I want you to think about the conviction that Saul has at this time. He just went through and consented unto Stephen's death. And then he's going and finding these Christians, and he's throwing them into jail. And then Jesus stops him. He's afraid. Paul is deathly afraid, saying, what do you want me to do? Tell me anything. Tell me anything I've got to do, and I'm going to do it. It's interesting to note, Jesus didn't tell him what to do. Jesus could have easily said, go be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and you can have remission of sins, just as we have in the Great Commission. But Jesus didn't do that. Because Jesus gave us the Great Commission. That the Great Commission is for us to go teach people. It's not for Him to go teach people anymore. So Jesus said, go into the city, and there it's going to be told you what to do. So that's exactly what He did. So He went into the city. He had to be led there because He was blinded. He couldn't see. And remember that when He went into the city, that He was sitting on the street called Straight. So He's sitting on the side of the street. He's blinded, and He's fasting for three days, fasting and praying. Now remember the mindset of Saul at this time. He just met Jesus, and Jesus told him what he was doing was wrong. And now he's blinded. He can't see anything. 
and he's sitting on the side of the street, and he's praying, he's fasting, he's just waiting and hoping, somebody come tell me what i got to do for three days. I would imagine to say that was probably one of the hardest three days of Saul's life, is just sitting there blinded, waiting and hoping somebody is going to come tell him what to do. Well, that someone that's going to come tell him what to do was a man by the name of Ananias. Now, Ananias, he got an encounter from God as well, and God told him to go find this man named Saul and go show him what he needs to do. Well, Ananias had heard about Saul, and Ananias knew that Saul wasn't really the greatest of guys. So let's look at, at Ananias' response when God told him to go find Saul, and that's in Acts chapter 9. Let's go down to verse 13. 13 through 16, it says, Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias was a little concerned. Ananias was like, Lord, are you sure you want me to go to Saul? Because he could easily just take me and throw me in jail. And not me only, but a lot of us. He has all the authority to do that. So he was a little concerned, a little apprehensive. And God told him, just go do it. You go do what you've been taught. So, of course, Ananias, then he obeyed. And he followed through and he taught Saul what he needed to teach. And we can see what he taught him in Acts chapter 22, verse 12. It says, One Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me, talking about Paul, and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked upon him, and he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be a witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away the sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. So Ananias fulfilled his responsibility. He went and taught Saul what he needed to do, was to get up and be baptized and call upon the name of the Lord so he can have remission of sins. So Ananias followed after his great commission. Now I want you to think about Ananias. You know, he was just doubting, should he really go to Saul? Because that's a high-risk situation. Ananias could go to Saul and could be thrown into jail. But at the same time, even though Saul was a high-risk situation to Ananias, later on from history and all the teachings and everything that we have from Saul, who was later called Paul, we can see that it was also a high-reward situation for the kingdom. So a lot of times we may use this phrase, high-risk, high-reward, and that's what Saul was at this time. It was high-risk for Ananias, but it was also a high-reward for the kingdom. Think about how many people... Paul had taught through all his teachings and still teaches today. Think about how many people learn from the letters of Paul of how we should be baptized into Christ and how we should follow after him. And that's what the Lord knew would happen, was that he's a chosen vessel and that sometimes we just need to get over a fear and go to the people that we think are high-risk high situations. So when's the last time you've been like Ananias? You've thought, I know I need to go, te go teach these people about Jesus. I know I need to go do that, but, you know, that's kind of high risk. I'm not really sure how they're going to take it. Maybe they'll make fun of me. Maybe it'll hurt my relationship a little bit. Ananias' concern was he could kill me. He could throw me in jail, and not me only, but a lot of other people as well. 
And Ananias got over his fill and did, did the will of God. And sometimes we just need to do the same. Get over our fear and go do the will of God. So now we've seen these different conversion examples. So how does this really apply to us today? When Jesus gave the Great Commission, He gave it to the apostles, but it wasn't to the apostles only. It was to all of us. Anybody who considers themselves a disciple, a follower of Christ, the Great Commission is for us as well. That we are supposed to go teach all nations and baptize them and teach them to observe all things in Christ's commandments. So our role as Christians at the core of it is to teach, to be teachers. And to effectively teach, you need to be effectively learning and continually learning. Make sure you're always staying in the Word of God. You know, there's opportunities around us all the time. We read about with uh, Philip and the eunuch that Philip ran to the opportunity. And there's opportunities all over the place that we should be running towards. But what are you going to do with those opportunities when they come against you? What are you going to do with it? Are you going to be ready for it? If you look in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Are you ready? Are you ready to give an answer of the hope that's within you? If someone came up to you this afternoon and said, What's this about Jesus Christ? What do I need to learn about Him? Can you give an answer? The preparation starts before the opportunity arises. So make sure you're prepared. Make sure you're continually getting in the Word, you're learning, you're studying, so that you're always ready when that opportunity arises. Another thing that we always have to remember as Christians, when we're doing our part to fulfill the Lord's commission, sometimes it's easy for us to gauge our effectiveness by the, res- by the results that it produces. I'm going to encourage you to don't look at the results. Don't worry about the results, but instead be more concerned with your efforts because we know that not everybody's going to listen. In Romans chapter 10, verse 15 and 16, it says, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? Paul is writing to the church at Rome here and said, How shall they preach except they be sent? Consider yourself sent this morning. Jesus gave us the Great Commission. He said, go teach all nations. That's to you too. You've been sent to go teach all nations. Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. He's talking about their activity. How beautiful is it that the people will go out and fulfill their obligation to preach? But then he also follows that up. Sometimes the results aren't always going to go in the way that we want them to go. In verse 16, they've not all obeyed the gospel. Does that mean that their preaching was in vain or that it wasn't, wasn't worthless or it wasn't worthwhile? No. Paul's saying, go teach. Go teach all nations. Don't worry about the results. So we've got to be more concerned with effort, the effort that we're putting in and making sure we're doing our part of fulfilling this great commission and less concerned with the results. Another example that we have where we know this is going to happen is the parable of the sower in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 and verse 11, now the parable is this. This is Jesus talking. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a little while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that 
which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Jesus told us that there's going to be many people who don't give us the result that we really want when we go preach the gospel. When we go preach the gospel, sometimes we get in our head, we're going to go teach people about Jesus and they're just going to obey perfectly and they're going to do everything that they need to do. And we know that's not the case. We know that everybody has their own choice and we have to make sure that we're less concerned with the result of whatever they do and be more concerned with what we do. One thing to point out here when we're talking about the parable of the sower, this is another reason, another good example. It says they on the rock, they hear, they receive it, receive the word with joy. So they did receive it for a time, but they have no root. Remember, the Great Commission does not stop when they're baptized into Christ, but we have to continually to teach them to observe all things. If we're continually teaching them, we're continually strengthening their roots so that they'll get stronger and stronger and stronger. And when those cares and riches and pleasures of this life come up, they'll be stronger in God if we continually teach. So don't stop teaching. So when we look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we always need to remember what is our place in the kingdom? What is our role in this great commission that Jesus gave? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 6 through 10, this is Paul's talking. It says, I have, a plant, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he that planteth it, so then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. few things to point out in this. Paul is saying that he planted Apollos water, but that really doesn't matter because it's God who gives the increase when we're talking about the result. Be more concerned with your effort. Make sure you're doing the planting. Make sure you're doing the watering. And it's up to God to give the increase. If the heart is right in that individual, they'll obey. And God knows the heart. We don't. So make sure that you're just constantly focused on planting and watering. Also make sure that you don't get prideful when the results happen. So there in Paul is saying, so that he that plantereth and he that watereth, they're nothing. But it's God that gives the increase. It's not us that we do the result. It's up to God. Then we can also see there in verse 8 that every man will receive according to his own labor. It doesn't say every man is going to receive according to his own result or to his own outcome. It's according to his labor. It's the effort that you put in. So remember your place. Your place in the kingdom is to go teach. Go teach them about Jesus Christ. Go teach them the commandments that we're supposed to follow. Also remember that some people in the kingdom, they can do the teaching and then other people could come along and then the result will happen. That's what it's talking about in verse 10 where it says, uh, I have laid the foundation and another builds upon. And that's a great thing. Sometimes I think it's easy for us to compare ourselves to other people who may be having more success or they have more results in the kingdom than we do. And sometimes we can get a little bit jealous of that. But we always have to remember that all of it's a win. It doesn't matter who's teaching it doesn't matter who's the one that's going out and making disciples out of other people. As long as you're doing your part and the kingdom is growing, we are all winning. We're all on the same team here. And this is what Paul is really talking about. 
Paul planted, Apollos watered, but it's God that gives increase. And the credit is not ours to have. The credit is God's. So when we see and we study about this Great Commission, it definitely applies to us today. And we have to make sure that we as Christians and as disciples of Christ, we're fulfilling our part in this Great Commission. So how to fulfill your part in the Great Commission? Make sure you're always studying to learn at a deeper level. Make sure that you're always ready to give an answer of the hope that lies within you. The opportunities are there. Make sure you're ready for it. Make sure you're learning from others that are more experienced at teaching. Learn from those that are, they've been around the block a few times. Learn from those that you can apply some of the principles that they've learned so that you can get better at teaching. Practice teaching to those around you. Find other people that you can practice on and that they can give you good, positive criticism so that you can continue to grow, you can continue to improve. Remember, do not worry about the result. The result's not yours to have. Only worry about your effort. And what are you putting into it? Make sure you get your children involved. Sometimes we've seen this play out where people can get so consumed with going to preach to all nations, they forget about their own house. Don't forget about your own house. Start there. Start with your own house and then spread that outwards. Get your children involved. And when it's all said and done, just keep teaching. No matter what happens, your role as a Christian is to teach. Teach them about Jesus. Teach them about the love that He has for us. Teach them to observe all the commandments that we have. Just keep teaching. That's your role, and that is how you fulfill your part in the Great Commission, is you're a teacher. And go teach those that are around you. So we can see as a study of the breakdown of this Great Commission what Christ calls us to do. He calls us to teach, to go out and spread the Word of God. Go teach all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And teach them to observe all things that Christ commanded us. Make sure that you're fulfilling your part. Make sure that you're doing what you need to do to put in the effort. Keep planting, keep watering, and let God give the increase. If there's anybody here this morning that they haven't obeyed this great commission, they haven't been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, I hope you consider that this morning. I hope you would take that step to wash away the sins in your life so you can truly become a disciple and follower of Christ and then take on this charge to keep teaching other people. Keep it going. If there's anybody here this morning that you haven't been doing your part fulfilling the Great Commission, you need some help. Maybe you need some people to study with you. Maybe you need some prayers. Maybe you just need to make introductions to other people that are around you so that we can all work together as a team like we talked about and keep that planning and keep that watering going. We can help you. If there be one that you either need to obey the Great Commission and be baptized into Christ or you need help by getting back on the right track, all you got to do is let your request be made known. Come have a seat on this front pew while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.